What's up, Gorilla Social Workers? Welcome to the Gorilla Social Work Podcast with your host, Jeff Hot Tamale Moore, and yours faithfully, Mace Warren. Jeff and I are both licensed clinical social workers who specialize in providing forensic psychotherapy to clients involved in the criminal justice system. We truly enjoy the work that we do. We love sharing our insights with you, and thank you so much for your ongoing listenership and subscriptions. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Alpha Counseling and Treatment. Alpha Counseling provides clinical services, case management, and peer support for justice-involved clients, including substance use, sexual offense, and all other court-ordered clinical care. Today's episode, Jeff and I talk about the latest news in sex offender issues and treatment. We revisit a topic about more inclusive language associated when working with this population, as well as proposals to change this language altogether. And we get into the implications this has for our field, as well as the public as a whole. We hope you enjoy the episode. as it's going to get fresh off the training, a uh, behavioral management training once yeah. again. Yeah. Dude, it never, it, it it's always kind of, um, I don't know. It, it, it's weird going from group to group when we're doing those trainings. Mm-hmm. Uh, just for those of you who don't know, Jeff and I do behavioral management training occasionally <laughs> and we've done it for a couple of different programs that work with youth. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think like three now. And, um, and, uh, it, yeah, never, it's always, it's, it's always a different crew just based on like even geography from city to city who tends to be more engaged and, and willing to kind of like, cause willing to take in some of the concepts, you know what I mean? That's what I was trying to, do you think it's geography? Cause, cause but when you and I were talking like consistently one city uh continually performs better than the others is that because of geography or is it just the right people happen to be in place in like supervisor roles well I maybe i mean i don't know but it's always seems like southern utah has like i don't know just people who just tend to be a little bit more uh have a growth mindset about what's kind of going on you know it not seems kind like of a it. fixed way of looking at it so but yeah I, it's always uh i mean um because it, it's uh <laughs> even well, I've seen this too. I shouldn't say it's limited to just like even even with uh, like therapists, professionals in our field that they do training. You know, when we're working with like University of Cincinnati or anybody for that matter, and they're coming up with, you know, they're bringing up these research and this and that, and it's so it's just so funny when people are like, "You don't know what you're talking about. You don't do the work that I do," and I'm like, "Well." they have the research to show that of people who do exactly the work that you do and that this is what's known to be effective. And yet you're resisting those things. Like, where does that, where does that come from? I think pride. Yeah. Yeah. I mean like, cause, cause well, cause I've felt that internally and I've had to like push back against myself. Like for example, you personally are responsible for my growth through the whole denial and empathy being yeah, be, like, like, so but what's, what's prideful about that? You didn't invent those terms. Well, which is, which is how I was able to bypass it. Okay. But you, you know how it is though? Like if you <laughs> yeah. have a, if you have a belief about something, it becomes a part of your identity. And then yeah. it's like, if you've spent time and energy, uh, acting upon that belief, then 
if you, if you're looking at it wrong, which I think a lot of people do, they, they look at it like they've been wasting time or they've been doing something wrong rather than just sitting back and being like, okay, well, looks like I need to revise my beliefs if I want to continue doing what is now shown to be the best thing. I, I think people don't do that thought process. And so they just project their shit all over the place. Yeah. I get, it's weird. Cause I guess my mindset of it is anytime there's an advancement in our field clinically, like I'm, I'm excited about that. That's kind of cool. And if it's di- and honestly, it's like, if the research supports it, and even if it's, you know, different from what I'm doing, like that should be something you should get jazzed about. Right. Like, I don't know why you'd hold on to things that only you believe is to be true as, as effective and whatnot. Well, what would you like? You're, you're a, you champion cognitive behavioral therapy yeah, you, yeah, about yeah. as long as I've known you as a right. therapist. Yeah. And just if a new wave of research came out that showed that equine therapy was <laughs> yeah. the way to treat sex offenders, what don't you feel like you'd feel a little bit of like skepticism or like, I don't know that. What do you mean? CBT doesn't work. You're telling me that lifting a horse's foot is going <laughs> to help these dudes not molest folks. Yeah. Okay. Well, give, I mean, if it's that outlandish, uh, yeah. yeah, I think I would be skeptical, but I think then if you like, just gave me the data and said, you know, like how, when we're in a training and it's not just like a, uh, you know, a, a journal art, like a, or a news article or, or one study, it's like a meta analysis, you know, a study mm-hmm. of studies and every single one of them come back with the same conclusions. Well, I, I, I guess I'd eat crow at that point, you know, I'd have to, because that's kind of what. And I, and I did that a little bit, you know, when we kind of like, uh, the ways that I was originally taught how, you know, sex offender treatment is supposed to be done. And that was, that was from primarily like other, other therapists who'd already done it. And maybe they just were going by what they thought were, you know, the ways to go. And, and that's all passed down through generations or whatever. But then, yeah. And then I found out that substance use and sex offender treatment, cognitive behavioral therapy is where it's at. You know, that's, that's where you're going to make your most inroads. And then I didn't really resist it. And I guess intuitively cognitive CBT has always made sense to me. Like it, it just make tends to, to make more sense. So yeah, when you're talking about like, I mean, nothing against equine therapists, if there is such a thing, I'm just, I'm just saying that like connecting the dots with, you know, in equine therapy saying that, you know, this, I I can really connect the dots in CBT, like taking a client from point A to point B all the way through them getting better. And I know how that's going to work, but you'd really have to sell me on the equine. Like, you know, like there's, that seems like there's some magic involved in that, you know, but, but which maybe there is, I don't know. (laughs) If you were provided with enough evidence over time across studies, you'd come around on it though, which that's the reasonable position to have. And like today when we caught some resistance or some flack from the staff that we were trying to teach this stuff to, I I doubt that the people giving us flack had, have really bothered much to like do some, I wonder why I'm reacting this way. What, what, what's causing me to push back again? Oh, they're, like they're a not, personal inventory. Yeah. I don't as, think as they're doing why. that. Yeah, yeah, probably not. Yeah. It doesn't fit the mold with what they think works. And so they're going to reject it. Well, and I guess, you know, I'll give you an example of, of one. Um, what are you doing with my kid's Lego dude? Breaking it. <laughs> <laughs> he built those for me. He's like, here, um, I, I, uh, I, you know, one of the ones that, that, uh, and, and I think people have done a better job explaining it to me and then I've read up on it and, um, but initially, like one of those that have a lot of research that doesn't, wasn't really explained to me very well was like EMDR. That was explained to me. And I said, well, why does that work? That sounds a little hokey. And the answer I received was it just does. I'm like, well, that's not good enough. That doesn't cause a mustard for me. Even if, even if you did give me research and didn't give me like an explanation as to why it worked, I'd still have a hard time with it. I think. And I did. And then, and then some people explained it like Matt, I think when we interviewed with Matt, he did a pretty good job of explaining EMDR kind of in a succinct way. And then I've had other therapists explain it to me and I was like, Oh, okay. I mean, I'm not going to start training in it, but I, you know, because there's just as much evidence to say that CBT is useful for, for trauma as there is, you know, for EMDR, but I'm not going to knock it anymore. I've gotten away from that. I mean, it's still, still kind of witchcrafty, but Hey, I know, you know, witchcrafty ain't bad, I suppose. I guess (laughs) if it works, Bruce in the pudding. Yeah, that's awesome. So, uh, so yeah, I'm kind of excited about this episode. We haven't done a a news reel here in a long time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we were going to, um, 
talk about uh, what are some some trending topics in the world of sex offense news, as I hope all of you subscribe to on a pretty routine basis, by the way. Oh, yeah. And I, we had a bunch of new subscriptions this last week. That was pretty cool. Hey, beautiful. I know, right? Several of them are my students, but hey. I will count it. Right? What can you do? <laughs> yeah. So so what are you, uh, what's your your story today is kind of going back to something we talked about last time, right? Yeah, from the, the episode LGBT dot, 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 P. P? <laughs> yeah. Well, we had a Q in there too somewhere, right? Yeah, that, yeah, that, uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. It's it kind of, all the whole idea was that uh, pedophiles are trying to, tag along with the LGBTQ movement right. and at, to add themselves along as a, as a viable sexual orientation. So yeah, it is kind of a addendum, I guess, to that. Right. And this is article that came, right. came out. It's a universe. So how did you, how did you find out about it first? Uh, podcast. Okay. You yeah. Were listening to yeah, a podcast. Yeah. Podcast. And, um, the podcast I was listening to was, uh, definitely railing against the idea that, so I get, well, so the idea here is that maps MAP minor attracted person uh you know it's kind of a, a a dressed up I guess politically correct name for somebody that has pedophilic interests and the, the idea behind calling a maps is to destigmatize it and uh allow for people that have attraction to children to not deal with the social stigma and to have it be more accepted and so you know predictably the the most people's take on that is to push back entirely. Uh, cause I, I think what happens is, is that people, um, I mean, at, we're going to get into this in a minute cause I have a kind of a complex take on it, but I, I think a lot of people's initial reaction is yeah. thinking that this is, this is a, a way to usher in pedophilia through the door. It's a way to normalize it and make mm-hmm. it okay. Any attempts at, allowing for any normalization of anything having to do with pedophilia is a slippery slope to well, yeah, it's full almost, scale endorsement it, of it's it. O- it's almost like, uh, if you said that is stigmatizing language, somebody's damn right. That's yeah. Right. We are trying to stigmatize that, you right. know, like, yeah. and, and so you might see some initial put dude also isn't maps that same, isn't there some like place that's using mushrooms for yeah. PTSD and yeah, like, multidisciplinary uh, something of psychedelic research. Can you, yeah. man, that's a bad Google search. Super some, <laughs> <laughs> like somebody's like, somebody's like, uh, Oh yeah. I really want to look into this maps thing for my PTSD. Yeah. Like what the fuck? <laughs> wrong kind of mushroom. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Well, hopefully so. So minor attracted person is what we're talking about. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, uh, let's see, we got an article from the New York post. Post, it says, and so this says, professor placed on leave after saying sexual attraction to kids, not always immoral. Hmm. Okay. So this is no, this is fresh, fresh November 17th. This is two days ago. Yeah. A Virginia university or a Virginia university. That's written weird. A Virginia university. Look at that. Look, yeah, that is weird. Right in the caption as above it, old dominion. Yeah. Look, look up above. As, oh, oh a Virginia. No, a, a Virginia. Okay, I got it. A Virginia University. <laughs> oh, I'm an idiot. A Virginia University has placed an assistant professor on administrative leave after the educator sparked heated backlash for saying if it, it it isn't necessarily immoral for adults to be sexually attracted to children. Alan Walker, who teaches sociology and criminal justice at Old Dominion University, made the controversial comment while discussing minor attracted persons and pedophiles during a November 8th interview with Prostasia Foundation, a San Francisco-based child protection organization. Walker, who uses the pronouns they them, was discussing their book, A Long Dark Shadow of Minor Attracted People and Their Pursuit of Dignity, when they insisted it's important to use that terminology instead of pedophile because it's less stigmatizing. In a statement Tuesday, the school said it placed Walker on administrative leave. So it looks like we got a little bit of a video queued up here. Yeah. Let's give it a, let's give it a whirl here. So um, my first question was, you know, even the title of your book is pretty controversial, right? Because the subtitle is minor attracted persons and their pursuit of dignity. And many people are concerned that the designation of minor attracted persons or maps um, suggests that it's okay to be attracted to children, or they're worried that the term suggests that pedophilia is a sexual orientation um, which they worry is a slander on LGBT people. Um, so could you talk about why you use that term in the title and throughout the book? 
Absolutely. And thank you so much for that question. Um, I use the term minor attracted person or MAP uh, in the title and throughout the book for multiple reasons. Um, first of all, because I think it's important to use terminology for groups that members of that group want others to use for them. Um, and MAP advocacy groups like Before You Act um, have advocated for use of the term MAP. Um, they've advocated for it primarily because it's less stigmatizing than other terms like pedophile. Uh, a lot of people, when they hear the term pedophile, they automatically assume that it means a sex offender. Uh, and that isn't true, and it leads to a lot of misconceptions about attractions toward minors. Um, I've definitely heard the idea that you brought up, though, that the use of the term minor attracted person suggests that it's okay to be attracted to children. Uh, but using a term that communicates who someone is attracted to doesn't indicate anything about the morality of that attraction. Um, from my perspective, there is no morality or immorality attached to attraction to anyone because no one can control who they're attracted to at all. Um, in other words, it's not who we're attracted to that's either okay or not okay. It's our behaviors in responding to that attraction that are either okay or not okay. Okay, let's just... A lot to take apart there. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, about. I mean, I, I kind of get the gist of it, but I mean, so, I mean, you thought you had some thoughts on this or a point to it. Yeah. So, I'm, what's this person's name? Alan? Alan Walker. Alan Walker. Mm -hmm. All right. So, I'm, I'm following along with Alan here on, on some of this, and but I can see how Alan's getting backlash from everybody. So, look, like, First and foremost, like 100% against anything having to do with acting out sexually towards children, like 100%, obviously. And I, I think that when people hear somebody like Alan talking about this, they think that they're trying to kind of make it okay or usher that in or at the expense of hurting pedophilic people's feelings that it's like, well, you know, the, I, I think people make the, the mistake of thinking that Alan here is saying it's better to cater to a pedophile's feelings than it is to make the overarching goal to uh, co to combat against child sexual abuse. And I don't think that's what Alan's saying. Well, right. But, it, and the weird part about this is too, is like, even as you say that, like what a disclaimer, like nothing that comes after that disclaimer is it, is going to be well-received. Nope. First and foremost, I want to make sure that everybody knows child sexual abuse is un, is, is, you know, we don't tolerate that. Like we're, we're, I'm not supporting this. That but, being said, yeah, but yeah, yeah. It, it's like almost like at that point, it's like, okay, here we go. What's next? You know, yeah. what's coming out of this dude's mouth. People next? So already like, stopped listening. At that right, point. right, right, yeah. right. They're like, oh, here we go. So, um, it's definitely an uphill battle when you're kind of doing this, but like, so kind of aware of why the backlash is happening. Mm -hmm. And, and I mean, and again, it would be an idea to, to, to what degree do we have a growth mindset about this, that we're willing to kind of look into this and say, okay, well really what's, what's Alan talking about in this right. circumstance? So, so yeah. So, and, and so you're not necessarily a, well, I don't know. Are you agreeing, disagreeing? What do you uh, kind of, you kind of, kind of see where Alan's coming from? But. Yeah. The, the, the part where I think Alan went wrong here is saying that it, that, that having pedophilic interests isn't a moral issue. Uh, so look like morality, I mean, mor morality is basically like a, a set of ideas and standards that people in a society agree upon so that we can all live together and cooperate and exist. That's like what morality is. And a lot yeah, it's of times almost like that, uh, that quote that morality is more about conformity than it is about like, like I can't remember what yes. the quote was, but it, I mean, but like we, we have our own laws and, and, and rules that govern our behavior and we conform to that because it's like, okay, yeah, I can buy into that. It makes sense. Well, and yeah. And a lot of times, um, that, that means that you set aside your personal interests or what you want right now for the greater good of society as a whole. That's sure. conforming, right? Sure. Yeah. And, and so I, I don't think that it's a more morally tenable position to say that having, you know, that, endorsing pedophilic interests can be considered moral. It, it, it's well, certainly not acting on it. And I, I think that's where Alan here has drawn the line is saying, saying that it, you know, acting on sexual interests against children is, is uh really bad. 
obviously. And uh, I think Alan's trying to make it so that they're, they're not outcasted as much. And then, so, but here's the thing. It's like, this can kind of go one of two directions. And I'm curious where you land on this. Mm -hmm. Like if, if left unchecked and if, you know, if, if, you know, there's, uh, whether it would be like actual physical locations or just, you know, forums on websites or, or whatever it is for people to talk without a governor on, uh, about, about deviant sexual interests, there's going to be enough, we, you and I have worked with enough dudes over the years that when they were at their worst, when they're at their most deviant, they would have, uh, you know, fired off each other. They would, have, uh, you know, it had gone a really dark spot. It would have been encouraging, encouraging sexual abuse against children, or, you know, even just saying that's not so bad. We, you'd, you'd hear, you'd hear people kind of getting some group think on a lot of this stuff. We've heard pedophilic people say mm-hmm. about, well, you know, in, uh, in ancient cultures, it was fine. The Greeks did it other countries, you know, other, like you'd hear a lot of that stuff. And, you know, that's where you get into a lot of the really dark stuff that, um, Arlo on our podcast was against, you know, a lot of trading, you know, child sexual abuse stuff, you know, images around, but like on the other side of things, this is where I think that what Alan's saying has some merit is what you and I do for a living is reactive. Mm-hmm. You know, we, it's always after the fact right. and we're dealing with, you know, sexual abuse once it's already happened. And I've had a lot of clients and I'm sure you have as well that have said something like, God, I wish I'd had this treatment beforehand, but I didn't feel like I could reach out. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel like, you know, I'd, and I would have been, I'd have been rejected if I'd have let people know I was struggling with this shit and they're, they're right. They would be a lot in a lot of cases. And, 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 it's, uh, I, I think there's a lot of people in our field, even fellow therapists that if a pedophile that had not acted on it yet, uh, had said that they had these interests, like a lot of therapists, alarm bells would go off. And I think they'd have a tough time in therapy. And if there were a way to destigmatize things, at least to the point that people were able to get together in some type of a support group facilitated by somebody that wasn't just going to let it go unchecked and, you know, just off the rails talking about whatever it was, it was clinically guided by like one of us. We could teach these dudes the same skills that we teach people that have already offended before the fact. And, you know, with, with sufficiently motivated people that realize that acting on it is really screwed up, but don't want to be rejected and cast out into the dark shadows of the netherworld for having the attraction. Like it, if they could learn those skills ahead of time, I mean, maybe they don't act on it. Maybe like sexual, actual sexual abuse theoretically goes down. So you, so you're saying in other words, if what Alan is saying is true and that the use of the, the terminology like minor attracted person reduced stigmatization of these, of that, you know, group of, of people that, you know, pedophile, pedophilic, that have pedophilic interests, that the likelihood of them, uh, otherwise seeking treatment to address those issues might increase. And, right. and if that, that increases, then the prevention of future child abuse, sexual victims could be, uh, it, that could also be increased. There could be a correlation between, you know, non-offending pedophiles that have come into the system that are seeking treatment. And that correlates with a reduction of victims over time that would have otherwise been victims. Okay. Good synopsis. So, so, um, well here, here's what I I was thinking about. This is it's a unique look at sexual attraction compared to maybe how sexual attraction has been looked at previously. So let me give you an example and I'm not, this is not an apples to apples comparison, but, um, Think about like, okay, if I just look at sexual attraction in general, who I'm sexually attracted to, and there have been responses to that in the past that a lot of us have been really critical about. So for example, um, let's say my morality, going back to the morality, is linked with a particular religion, for example, and that religion's you know prescription on morality disagrees with anything like homosexual, right? And yet I have same-sex attraction, okay? And this is where the whole, like, there was, um, there's several documentaries on this. You know, I don't know exactly which ones. I don't want to 
throw out the names and misquote them, but I've watched them where, you know, people will go for like, you know, to, to pray the gay away, essentially that whole, oh, yeah. you know, that whole cliche accountability buddies. Yeah. Accountability buddies and trying to get rid of, and, and <laughs> now we look on that now, however long ago that was, people look at that and they are like appalled by it and maybe rightly so, you know, I mean that, that, um, but the reality is, is that, that, that person in some ways is pretty conflicted. Okay. And, and the track has been, I, I think without knowing context, what's happening there, I think the track has been, well, no, 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 they should just embrace their sexuality. And if they ha- have same sex attraction, so what, which by the way, I totally agree with. The problem is, is the individual, the individual is conflicted because they have a belief in this, you know, moral prescription that's given to me by my religion that maybe I'm very devout to, and yet I'm having, having same sex attraction. And then there's a lot of conflict internally there and helping them resolve that. So just say, no, 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 just, you know, just be gay and be happy. Uh, Okay. I think that that is a way of saying, I'm okay with you being gay. And so you should be okay with that. And the guy's like, well, no, 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 I'm not okay with it. And the reason why is because I believe in this, but I also have these feelings about this. Right. Right. Now, so in that regard, we've been much more receptive to the sexual attraction piece and tried to embrace it, right? So that's kind of where a lot of people's mentality goes when it comes to sexual attraction that's not just heterosexual attraction. Now, when you start talking about pedophilic attraction, you can't – I mean, you can't really go in that direction. Nobody's going to be like, yeah, you just embrace it, bro. Like mm-hmm. nobody is going to go in that direction, right? Right. And rightly so because now we're encouraging – otherwise like illegal type of behavior. So, and, and moral or immoral starts to be, this, this is where it starts to be kind of problematic. And this is why I would say the moral point to this sometimes I, so my obligation as a, as a therapist is to provide uh, my client with empowering my client with skills and attitudes and a, and a thought process that's going to enrich his lifestyle and improve his lifestyle, right? His or her lifestyle, um, not cause more problems. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, so I can't right. having them embrace that. I'm also I'm also um, getting to the point where I'm having them embrace an attitude that could possibly lead to illegal activity. Now it's not necessary. So I, of course I want to do that. So that's what I'm saying is this is illegal behavior. This is like me. And again, not an apples to apples comparison, but you know, just recently here in Utah, we, we were able to, um, we, like I had anything to do with it, but in Utah, they legalized marijuana on a medical side, right? Which is kind of nice from a therapist because I talk to my clients so often about marijuana and you know, they make, pretty damn good arguments about why weed is better for them, you know, compared to like Xanax or something like that. Um, but I had to harken back to always, well, yeah, but it's illegal. And unfortunately, if you keep using it, it's going to cause problems in your life. It's going to lead to more dysfunction over time. Mm -hmm. So the counter I think to that would be how does, and maybe this, maybe it's, that's not that what Alan is saying that embracing pedophilia as a, as a lifestyle uh, but just making it less stigmatizing. But I, I'd have, I think you'd have a hard time convincing the general public that you're not embracing it to some degree. And and at the end of the day, it's always going to be illegal. It's always going to be harmful. As it should be. As it should be. No. And and you know, to Alan's credit, going back to the point where never ever should this be like condoned to act upon this behavior. Right. That's never right. But which, which I think Alan said. For sure, hundred yeah. percent. So I'm not trying to take words out of out of context. I'm just saying that, um, yeah, I don't know how you how you. I don't know. You are kind of validating and simultaneously working on them not acting upon you know, a, a, a way of, yeah. of have, you know what I mean? Like you're, 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 it's like moving in both directions it's at the like same time. It's like you're okay, but not really. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. It's like right. we're cool with not what you're doing. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? I, I mean, I, I definitely can get on board with the idea that I don't have a, I don't think anybody has a crystal clear explanation as to why adult men and women have attraction towards, you know, children. I don't think anybody has a great explanation for that. And I think the explanations are 
as vast as the the type of right. you know people I've heard who, a lot of reasons right so what so I don't know in terms of accountability if this is one of those nature versus nurture things or if you can just drop back to like well this is just how they were born or this was reinforced mm. over time or anything I don't know if you can I have no clue I mean I don't think anybody really has an answer to that right and just throwing out because they're sickos that doesn't help okay right. I also don't know how much it matters either. Like, so if, if, if nobody knows, then how much does that matter? And so I, I think it's okay to validate that, that they're experiencing those thoughts and that those thoughts are yeah. distressful. And what can we do about those thoughts? I think that's important because, and to that end, I do agree. I think that if people had a forum in which to discuss this in a way that they're not just going to be cast out and they're actually going to be able to get some help, we might be able to increase the likelihood that they seek treatment prior to offending, which the damage is already done at that point. You know what I mean? So back to kind of your point was, how can we do that? But I don't know. I mean, yeah. How do you, how do you validate something that you know is not only illegal, but nobody's ever going to get on board with? You know, I, I'm, I'm trying to think of like comparisons and everything I'm coming up with falls short. Like I, I was almost going the route of like, well, to, to help people understand what it might be like to have an attraction that you didn't want to act on. And, you know, your example of, you know, the religious dude that wants to follow his religious convictions, but you know, is homosexual. Mm-hmm. He's dealing with that conflict. And, you know, our job as a therapist is to help them achieve their goals. Mm-hmm. And then I was thinking, well, like, what about maybe dudes that are trying to work on like, you know, maybe like a serial philanderer, you know, uh, <laughs> like a, a dude that he wants to stay married. He wants to stay loyal to his wife, but he's constantly running out, you know, cheating on her, all these different things. And, you know, there, there's, there are people that meet together, you know, sex, love addicts, anonymous, whatever it is that, uh-huh. that their, their goal is to remain married. And yet they, they, they are constantly compelled to cheat and to, you know, get laid or, or mm-hmm. whatever it is. But that, that, that doesn't, that metaphor doesn't work either because that's not illegal or necessarily harmful in the same even in the same ballpark well, as right. child you, sexual abuse. It's you, not even in the same. Right. You can place a value judgment on that behavior if yeah. you want, you know, um, and say, I mean, you can have an opinion about it and say, I don't think you should, you know, be doing that while you're married or whatever. Yeah. Okay. That's fine. You have an opinion about that, but there's nothing illegal about right. it. I mean, and, and spare me the adultery piece. I mean, I know that's legal. It's illegal I know. In 40 like, states. Yeah. <laughs> a SWAT team ain't going to come in yeah. and, arrest somebody for hooking up with somebody. I mean, I mean what at at the end of the day, see, this is why I said it's not an apples to apples comparison. I was simply saying that the way we've addressed what other people have thought of kind of like a, as a, as a, as a sexual attraction that would be considered outside of the norm, the way that's been handled in the past, most of us look back on that and say, that's, you know, that's, that's just really, I mean, a lot of people would say it's bigoted, you know, the stigmatizing of it. Right. Yeah. Right. And so the reason I mentioned like, you know, religion and homosexuality is just because that's one that, that people have been referred to treatment for. And some people I think genuinely have a conflict there, you know, when they're having to do that. And, and again, I can validate both sides at that point in therapy. I have no problem validating the fact that somebody has same sex attraction, but they also want to be, they also want to be devout to their, I don't like that client coming into me. I wouldn't just start shitting all over their religion. You know, that's not what I would, I would work on. I would, I would help them resolve this internally. You'd be out of line. Right. I help. So this is the dilemma though, is Mm -hmm. I can't, it's difficult for me to validate like sexual attraction towards children as, as, right. as a, I guess a, a functional sexual attraction. It's not, it's an, it's a dysfunctional sexual attraction. Right. Like it will only lead to problems in the uh-huh. life. So any exploration of that, and this is, this is what some people don't understand is like, okay, well, are there ways that they can, can engage in that, um, that they can reinforce in a legal way? And the answer is, by and large, no. I mean, other than just using your imagination, which a lot of people do, right? Uh, I don't think many people are aware of this, but let's say I I drew a picture. I just drew hand-drew a picture. And let's say I was a pretty good artist, too. And I hand-drew a picture of, of me engaging in sexual activity with a child, 
what would I then be in possession of? Uh, well, child pornography. Right. It's yeah. illegal to do that. You're not allowed to do that. Like you, you cannot do that. You cannot depict this in virtual reality. You can't have any depictions of these things if you're using them for sexual purposes. So there's no way on this planet. Well, at least, I mean, at least in our country, there's no way to engage in this behavior in a legitimate legal way to reinforce the behavior. So that's why I'd have a hard time validating that and then helping a client like explore how to, you know, what, what to do about this. Well, what, uh, right. Uh, um, as far as the validation piece. So uh, you've had clients that have pedophilic interests that, I mean, aside from being in prison for it, justified it and we're just fine with it. They know they, 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 they would make arguments for it, but I, I bet you've also had clients that wish to hell that they didn't have that arousal. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. And I, and I don't think that they wanted to make arguments for that. Right. And so it's like, I, I think the, the, the Ben, and I don't know what it would look like cause I, I'm still trying to work it out myself, but I think the benefit is for those guys to like, okay, I, you know, for a, for a person to be able to come forward with, you know, and be able to say like, all right, I've got this problem. I've got this arousal. I'm a, I'm a good person. I know that if I act on this, I won't be being a good person. I'll be causing damage. I just don't want to feel like alone. I don't know where it came from. I, you know, I don't know if I was born this way. I, I don't want it. I don't, I don't know where it came from. And th- that person exists. And there's, there's a lot of people that feel like they're the only one that, has this, what must feel like a curse, you know? Cause I think like, like I don't have, I don't, I don't have any say over my sexual orientation mm-hmm. and like, you know, lucky me, I'm, I'm straight. And mm-hmm. so society has been, been pretty kind with that. I yeah. like adult women put up with nonsense. Yeah, put, yeah. yeah, exactly. And I, I think like how much value I get out of my relationship with my wife, you know, and I, I just get to thinking like, damn, like what if my entire orientation or I won't call it orientation, just, I was aroused by kids. Like that would be pure hell. Yeah. You know, and knowing what you know about knowing what I know, right. Being an adult heterosexual male, like that would be pure hell. It would be pure hell. Right. And you know, uh, I, I wouldn't want to act on it, but that, and that would feel lonely. I'd feel like a freak. Mm-hmm. I'd feel, I'd feel like something was wrong with me. I, if I didn't feel like other people understood my position, it would be easy to be like, man, what, what's the point? I mean, it, you, people get suicidal mm-hmm. and, and then some people kind of develop a case of the screw it's and they act on it anyway. Cause there, there's kind of like a why not piece. And I, I just wonder if enough of those people that know they shouldn't feel that way, were able to say, you know, I dealt with it too. And similar to like a person that's 20 years sober and, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous being like, yeah, I know what it's like. Here's how I got through it. And, you know, that, that would give people a chance to be like, okay, I know I have these interests. I probably need to not be a scoutmaster. I probably need to not work in a nursery. Yeah. I, you know, and so essentially you'd be teaching them like almost like treatment prevention techniques yep. from, from getting into high risk situations where engaging in that behavior is, is hired. And the other thing I, you know, I'm, I think is worthwhile is, is exploring the idea. See, this is where I don't know if anybody would have, (laughs) okay. As opposed to treatment for treatment, but like how back in the day, if I did have same sex attraction, the idea would be to get me into a relationship with a lady, you know, or something like that. Um, I, I don't know if people would be opposed to trying to reinforce what we would consider, like normative sexual attraction mm. with somebody on this end. Like I think people would be a little bit more open to that because a big tenet of CBT as well is I can't simply just eliminate the unhealth unhealthful thought process, like the un, you know the the um the ineffective way of thinking. I can't just eliminate that. I have to replace that with new and more effective ways of thinking. And so, you know, I've, I've always kind of been a believer of, you know, your, your sexual interests don't necessarily change over time. They expand. And by expansion, I mean, I've kind of always been interested in girls. Right. And I think I started noticing interest in girls, maybe 13, 14, you know, before then they just had cooties and whatever. Um, 
But that doesn't mean I'm interested in 13 and 14 year olds. It expanded by virtue of I got older, my, you know, my peers got older and I naturally started to become more attracted to same age peers and older peers as a result of my, my, you know, my sexuality expanding my sexual. So I think like anybody with pedophilic interests would also, would also have that. Um, so to the degree that this would invite more people into exploring it in that direction, like, okay, can we, can we help you with prevention strategies that teach you about high risk situations and, and triggers both internal and external and, you know, realistic and effective ways of managing those while at the same time helping you kind of bolster more healthy ways of sexuality, whichever direction you choose at that point. I I think anybody can get on board with that. Right. But man, I, I just don't know if it's wrong, morally wrong, you know, on our end to stigmatize that. I mean, think about it like this. You're saying it's not more, say that again. It's not, I don't think it's morally wrong to stigmatize that behavior. That's stigma suggests that there's like a, a, a kind of natural apprehension or, or, you know, negative sentiment towards that, towards that behavior. Right. Should be, yeah. And I think that's, I think that's it's okay. Yeah, right. I think that's okay. And I, and it, and like you said, if I had those, if I just woke up tomorrow, I started having sexual attraction towards kids. I'd be, I'd hate it. Right. Because of the stigma. Like mm-hmm. th- that's where, when I'm saying validate, I'm not trying to say like I condone it or endorse it. I'm right. just saying if it would be difficult to, like, I think, Alan's being accused of normalizing it, which I don't think that's what Alan's doing. What I think rather is that, you know, if we can encourage people who are experiencing that for whatever reason to seek treatment as a means of prevention, everybody pragmatically should get on board with that. Like you, you make that argument to say, look, we know statistically that cognitive behavioral therapy is effective at treating this subgroup of a population of clients. And right now we're all reactionary. So the only time these people come to our attention is after they've committed a sexual offense. What if we made treatment uh, a little bit more inviting and less like, you know, attack oriented or confrontational oriented such that these individuals would be willing to seek this treatment prior to them committing an offense. I don't think anybody would disagree with that at that point. I I don't, I don't think so either. That, that conversation is really hard to get off the ground though, for the reasons that we just talked about it. Yeah. It's, it's tough to get people to tune in to a conversation long enough to be able to articulate everything you just said to arrive at that piece. And cause you, and it, cause you talked about, you know, he said, I don't think it's wrong to stigmatize that behavior. And I agree. And especially when we're talking about behavior and the, when, when you were also talking about that, sexual attraction expands over time. You know, I don't have the numbers on this. It's probably pretty easy to find, but I mean, most people that have pedophilic interests seem to be non-exclusive pedophiles as, a, as opposed to exclusive pedophiles. I, I mean that they have, they have attraction towards adults as well. Correct. Yeah. I, uh, do, do you know the numbers on it? No. Okay. No, I'm it, sure I, I, here let's, let's, uh, let me look that up. Yeah. Look it Keep up. Going. Yeah. So, I mean, if, if I, have uh, a client, but actually now that I'm thinking about it, a lot of my clients that sexually acted out or sexually offended on children also happened to oftentimes be married at the time, you know, to an adult, mm-hmm. uh, male or female. They, they had a history of age appropriate consenting relationships. And then also in addition to that happened to have, pedophilic interests. And there's, there's been a handful I can think of. I mean, I I know what I'm offering right now is anecdotal. You know, you're, you're busy right now looking Mm -hmm. up the actual numbers, but I got you. Yeah. And anecdotally I've had maybe a couple clients is all that were exclusive pedophiles and that their attraction was only to children under the age of 11. And so if like, if we're looking at the sheer numbers of it, and we're able to see that, okay, you know, uh, whatever, whatever percent of, uh, people with pedophilic interests are non-exclusive pedophiles that that's where a treatment program like ours could really make a difference in, you know, maybe teaching these dudes, the social skills needed to land a date with someone their age, you know, uh, cause again, how many of your clients have been the type of guy that they, 
they end up offending on somebody younger because they have no game with someone their age and the, the 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 person they end up sexually acting out on is younger because they're easy to manipulate. Right. You know. Right. You, you get somebody with social skills and or whatever it is. Uh, well, you got you got some for us? Not really. I mean, it's not giving me sheer numbers, but it does say. I think speaking to your point, um, this was from a, let's see. So the journal is Law and Human Behavior, and the article was titled uh, Predicting Reoffense in Pedophilic Child Molesters by Clinical Diagnosis and Risk Assessment. Um, this was published in 2015, and here's kind of the headline. Indeed, the subcategory of exclusive pedophilia turned out to be of particular salience in the present study uh, with rates of sexual recidivism being approximately five times higher, Mm. 21.2% among exclusive pedophiles compared to the group of non-exclusive pedophilic men. So in other words, like those, I mean, it's not speaking to the numbers, but going to your point though, it's, I I think my direction would, would essentially say, well, yeah, if it's not exclusive, then I would simply talk about, you know, prevention strategies for addressing the deviant sexual behaviors and thoughts and then reinforcing um, and supporting the the healthy sexual behaviors. And and then yes. the tendency is that they're not going to have – I mean, that would just suggest that they, that's the track to go is I'm not going to have nearly the rate of recidivism at that point because I have options. I have options yes. to – that's what those to, numbers show. Right, right, right. See, and this is, this is why I don't think we should get to – wrapped up in the idea that this is something comparable to something like treating, again, when somebody was seeking treatment for homosexuality versus religion or whatever, um, you know, that's a, homosexuality is perfectly healthy. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that um, on a moral level or on a, on a, just a physical level. But this, on the other hand, is illegal and most would therefore identify it as being immoral. Right. So we have to have other options that are more functional for the client. I mean, that's that's the number one thing because it can't just be, especially for clients that come to, to us, it's, it can't just be about, well, because this is the right thing to do. Nobody listens to that. It, it's what are my other options? And so yes. even with exclusive pedophiles, I think you would have to move it in, an, in another direction. You'd have no choice because if the only option is this, that again, takes away from a central tenant with CBT is, I'm going to help you address your unhealthy behaviors and ineffective ways of thinking, but I'm not replacing them with new, more effective ways of thinking. And if you don't do that, then you're only getting half the... That's a tough one. Right. You're only getting half the stuff. So, yeah, I guess uh, to be continued... I wonder what... I'm kind of curious what's going to happen with this. this Me me too. Alan Walker. I think Alan... Not that Alan's going to listen to Gorilla Social Work podcast, no, but, no. <laughs> but I, I think the mistake was uh, bringing morality into it and trying to normalize it on a moral level. Right, Pe- people will react to that on a visceral level, as do I. You right. know, it, 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 it's it's immoral, but like enough people that have pedophilic interests don't want it. And, right. and the numbers that you just read that non-exclusive pedophiles reoffend way less than exclusive pedophiles show that with presented with options, which is where you and I come in, um, then that they wouldn't re well, they wouldn't offend to begin with maybe if, if they didn't feel like they couldn't reach out. So yeah, to be continued. Yeah. And this kind of goes into this, uh, this story that I mind's more of a, kind of a, a <laughs> so I, I've always thought I bring this up in my, in my, uh, classes a lot. Um, my students will appreciate this. So have you ever noticed that when, okay, when, when a word, we were talking about the word relapse. Okay. And, um, the proposal at one of the places where the students was doing their internship was, let's not call it relapse. Let's call it reoccurrence of use, which, you know, or, or sobriety period of abstinence. Right. I'm like, okay. Or addiction, substance use disorder. Okay. So I'm just pedophilia, minor attracted person. Do you kind of get the trend here? Like, I don't understand when you make something more politically correct, why do you have to add more syllables to it? Like I'm burning more calories Dude, doing l- this. Like language. What, if you if you went the other direction and made it shorter, I swear more people would buy I into dude, it. Dude, yes, but yes, and I know I'll let you run with this, but just language has a purpose and is to convey ideas. Let, 
efficient language conveys ideas in as succinct a way as possible. And so, yeah, if we're looking for a way to communicate ideas and if we're trying to change people's minds on a different way to communicate ideas about something that maybe needs to be dressed up in a politically correct manner, I think the direction that you're about to take is perfect because we're talking about efficiency of language, efficiency of words. If I say minor attracted person, it takes me a beat. Like, cause I'm yeah. saying like, are you minorly attracted to me? Like, you know, like, <laughs> or are you attracted to dudes who <laughs> are you, get, like, it's like get, are you, does that mean you're kind of attracted? Like, like minorly <laughs> or, or are you attracted to dudes that get coal and, in and, and, you know, and <laughs> minor? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I guess they're rugged, you know? <laughs> I mean, I mean, you know, that's, uh, I'm just saying, you know, it could mean a, a bunch of different things. So this was a, uh, this was a, um, an article from the Denver post and, so the headline is, should Colorado still use the term sex offender? A state board is considering new language. Uh, state sex offender management board looks to move away from labels. All right. So seek, seeking to move away from labels that can work against a person's rehabilitation, Colorado sex offender management board plans to vote Friday to replace the term sex offender in its own guiding principles. The board is considering several new terms, including clients, adults, or individuals who commit sexual offenses, who engage in sexually abusive behavior, or who are in treatment for engaging in sexually abusive behavior, or who have committed sexual offenses. Right there, I have 10 times the amount of syllables. Like, it was, imagine you had to say all those in one fell swoop. R- roll, so just when I say like, all right, Mace, what type of clients do you work with? Sex offenders. Okay. Everybody knows what we're talking about. Yes. If I say pedophiles, everybody knows what we're talking about. Yes. Right? Yes. Like, I mean, the, I mean, that that's helpful. I mean, the, the, and, and my question is, is, okay, let's say, so like relapse, do you know, do you know where the term relapse came from? Like Uh, if we, well, well, so this is what was brought up and I was like, okay, so here's, here's the tricky part about this is then when does this new thing become stigmatized? Because this, this, this term is still linked with a behavior that all of us think is, 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 you know, pretty bad, you know, like that's, that's what we're all, we're all thinking that that's why it became stigmatized in the first place. So like, here, let's just do, let's just do an experiment. Okay. Real. So let's Google the term relapse. Okay. Let me, let's see here. Uh, just give me a definition here. Right up top. Right here. Right above it. Relapse happens when a person stops maintaining his. Okay, here it is, right here. Relapse. Let's just let's pull this up right here. Uh, So we go an internal medicine relapse, or in internal medicine, relapse or recidivism is recurrence of a past condition. Okay. Okay. There it is. A relapse happens when a person stops, and this is this is again. This goes back to the drug use piece, right? Mm -hmm. This is from the Alcohol and Drug Foundation. But if I just looked up. I mean, if we look up a relapse, let's find a like a dictionary thing for this. Uh, well, maybe I should do relapse definition. Let's do that. Let's do relapse definition, and then we'll that'll that'll help us. Of uh, so it says of someone suffering from a disease suffer deterioration after a period of improvement. Sure, a deterioration in someone's state of health after a temporary improvement. Okay. So all I'm saying here is, is look, that's a, that's a, a relapse was never part of substance use treatment that came from, it's a medical term that is exactly that meaning suffer deterioration after a period of improvement, which is exactly what a relapse is. So who's responsible for stigmatizing this other than the idiots that like us that keep saying it. Right. And like giving it a negative connotation, which I, I've always said, well, a relapse in a behavior is not necessarily indicative of failure on the client's end. It's just a relapse to a doctor would mean, oh, we need to change up your treatment plan. Right. We need to give you a different medication. It's not a moral judgment. Right, right. It's just we need to adjust this. So I, I, my thing is, is like you're just kicking the can down the road. How long is it? Are we talking about 20 years that reoccurrence of use is now going to be the new stigma? And then what do you do? Go back to relapse or do you add more syllables to that? Because reoccurrence of use would then carry the same stigma that relapse currently has because reoccurrence of use gets tied with the same moral injunction that got tied to relapse. Well, right. Because, yeah. because now the, it's these words. Well, now right. It's these sounds now that 
produce this feeling. Right. Yeah. 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 So it's these sounds like, so if you're, if you're now saying, going back to this article, if I say, um, in treatment for engaging in sexually abusive behaviors, that's going to be the term now, or the sounds that come out of my face that mm-hmm. now start to provoke that. And unless it's, it's looked at on a fundamental, like unless there's a paradigm shift, right. it's not going to make any difference. Like right. I, do, I don't understand why I like focus on the fact that this language is there for a good reason. Um, it's kind of like there was a, um, there's a, a really good Ted talk from a guy named DJ Jaffe and, uh, DJ Jazzy Jeff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he, he wrote a book called insane consequences and he does insane a real, clown posse. Yeah, no. <laughs> DJ, yeah. DJ, yeah. DJ Jazzy Jeff wrote a book called insane clown posse. <laughs> so no, DJ Jaffe, yeah. DJ stands for something. He, he's not a DJ, but DJ Jaffe, he, uh, I, I think his name is Jaffe. Um, it looks like it. J A F F E. Yeah, that's right. Um, Sounds right. Insane consequences. And basically he's talking about like how everybody's trying to be super nice about this stuff and moving away from terms like mental illness when that is exactly what it is. Like he's kind of pointing out oh, mental, yeah. mental health sounds like the opposite of mental illness. Like, you know, like these are mental health issues. He's like, I wish I had mental health issues, you know, mm. like I had more health and I get it because words do have meaning. And when you take it away from them, again, we are giving those meaning to those words. So if I increase the terminology, the meaning's still going to be attached to it if our attitudes and our paradigm doesn't change towards that. Like retardation. Yeah. Yeah. Like that. Like, and again, I mean, I think to some degree because of how that's been used and it's how, how it's been like, you know, um, uh, and it's like, it's different. People did that though. I get it, but it's, it's in, in some ways, in some ways. So if I say like a flame retardant, you you can't say that. Like what else am I supposed to say? (laughs) And again, the only thing you do is add more syllables to it to make it better. You know what I mean? But I mean, like I think the reason why that was, was because, that was stigmatizing a group that never deserved the stigma in the first place. You know what I mean? Nobody, yeah. nobody can defend that position. True. Like attacking people with like, you know, mental disabilities. Yeah, like, you're a dirtbag. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, somebody says sex offender. Okay. Like, Get him. yeah, no, nobody's, no. <laughs> yeah, nobody's like really defending that point except for like this. And and don't get me wrong. I understand. I understand the premise here, but I, I don't know if it's going to move away from this. So this kind of goes on to this part here. It says, um, the board which governs the standards for treatment of people convicted of sexual sex offenses is far from united on the issue of person first language in this context. Um, members split eight, seven in the spring vote <laughs> to adopt new guideline principles concerning language. And I think going down to this quote says, I think the biggest thing is research really showing us that assigning a label has the potential negative effects in rehabilitation. Let, let me do some devil's advocate here. Sure. All right. Because I, I, I agree with you. When it comes to the way clients think about themselves, I do think there's value in them getting away from saying, I'm a sex offender. And and again, it's it's the same wordplay, but the, the, the way that, like just from like a, a client-centered approach, if, if a client refers to themselves as a sex offender, offender implies actively doing it. Like I say a farmer farms, a banker banks, Mm -hmm. a sex offender sexually offends. Mm -hmm. And the idea is that, okay, you're in treatment now, dude. And you know, you, you did a period of incarceration, you're in treatment, you've changed up your peer group. You've, you know, stopped looking at pornography or whatever you've, Mm -hmm. you know, you've taken some accountability. You've, you've uh, informed people in your support group about this. You've got yourself a stable job. Now you're, you're a pretty, you're a different dude than the version of yourself that committed that offense. You're no longer a sex offender. You're, you're behaviorally and cognitively different than the version of you that committed that offense. You're no longer a sex offender. You're somebody that committed a sex offense past tense because you're a different dude now. Sure. I think that from a client centered perspective, that's useful for clients to be able to like take away the active offender, uh, nomenclature. What you're saying, if I'm understanding you right, is that like, this isn't that this is like the terms that we as society use to talk about people, which then just means that we've just shifted the we shifted the goalpost and now 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 it's these a person who committed a sex offense is is now going to be the stigmatized phrase because we're talking about things on the aggregate. Well 
Yes. So for clients, I think that is important. And that's something that I think any therapist that, I mean, kind of first day type stuff that we, if, if they've engaged in otherwise like a, an illegal, if not adverse behavior, then we want to kind of separate them from their behaviors. Like, you know what I mean? Like saying that, well, yeah, this is a behavior that, that you did, but all of us are not defined by the worst things we've ever done. You know, we hope that you can move past that one way or another and just become a productive citizen moving forward. Okay, yeah. fine. Let's, let's move in that direction. But what I'm saying is, is I don't like, so if this board were to elect, right. So then, then what happens? I mean, this language has been out there for a minute. Like, it's not like that's new what they're talking about. And some of us change up the language, you know, that we use. Um, I, I mean, I, I've tried to get away from the word addiction for different reasons though, because hmm. I don't, I don't like how I think it's been devalued. The, the, the value of the word addiction has been devalued by people saying that like, you know, I'm addicted to game of Thrones oh, or dude. I'm addicted to potato chips. I'm like, I'm like, okay, <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. So to yeah. me, you've taken a top shelf word and turned it into nonsense at this point. And so I try to use something that's more clinical and more like moving towards like a medical kind of definition of it. So I, I'm fine with saying substance use disorder. I'm okay. fine with saying that because because of the almost the opposite, like the word addiction has become just, I don't know, so mainstream that it's applied to so many things that it, it you're taking away credit from something that somebody's suffering a legitimate medical condition that needs to be addressed. You know what I mean? Now, this, on the other hand, I mean, do you think that you put those pieces in place? Well, what happens if you use the term like a probation officer in Colorado uses the term sex offender? So then what happens? I mean, is he fired? Does he have to pay a fine at this point? Like what happens? So there'll be language in something or other that says, you know, uh, persons who committed a sexual offense or persons who are in treatment for sexual abuse or, wh or whatever it is. But does that really move the needle in terms of public sentiment about people who've committed a sex? Not offense? a chance. But, no, I don't think so at all. Yeah. So now you're just shifting the stigma. You're kicking the can down the road. Like there. So, I mean, from a client's perspective, yeah, they deserve to realize I'm not my worst behavior. I can move past this and I have other options in my life, you know, provided that I'm going to serve my time, um, do this, I'm going to move on. But I, don't, I just don't know. <laughs> I don't know if you're really making a big difference here other than, other than I did this and I get to feel good about that's it. That's what it is. Yeah. Which yeah. I mean, fine. I mean, that's, that's cool too. If you did that and you feel good about it, good for you. It's so like some version of virtue signaling kind of. Yeah. 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 I mean, I don't know. You know, there's, I don't like calling, I get it to some degree. I don't like calling dudes felons or inmates or, you yeah. know, convicts. I don't like calling them that. Um, you know, their name works, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, you yeah. know, yeah. like I, I agree with labels. I don't, I don't, but, but, uh, I mean, I just like simplicity too. And I like being able for everybody to get on the same page. And sometimes when you pollute that and there's professionals working in this field, it's almost like I just, I guess the drawback, and maybe this is me being lazy is, is like, it takes you a longer time to get everybody on the same page in terms of what we're staffing and talking about. So I don't know if that's any significant consequences associated with that, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely kind of tricky. I don't yeah. know. Just kind of misapplied. Good intention, I think. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, this is, this is, this is kind of a, um, this is kind of a funny cap I saw in here. Um, says, ironically, even if the board votes to scrap sex offender, it cannot change its own name. The legislator oversees the sex offender management board <laughs> and have to agree on any change. Lawmakers earlier this year considered but did not pass a broad reform bill, among other things, would have updated state statute to eliminate the term sexually violent predator. That's a term used to describe a subset of people under the sex offender label and one that the board agrees is outdated, but <laughs> so they can't even change their own. You know what that reminds me of is that uh, it's the substance abuse and mental health administration, SAMHSA, but they say don't, it's substance use disorder. And you even know, though it says substance, like, yep, abuse, substance in abuse in the name, <laughs> yeah, <that's funny. laughs> you can't get away from yeah. it. Yeah. It's, it's like you'd bury it. You dug it. That's what I'm saying is, is you've, you've kind of case in point, right, right. You can't move away from these things because this is now defined, you know, and for good reason, you know, why these things are there. So really I think a shorter path would be 
educating and, and changing hearts and minds associated with, with the, like what that words means and the paradigm shift as to what we're talking about versus just changing the language yes. and somehow thinking we're all going to just, you know, like, Hmm, I never thought about it that way. Exactly. I don't think that's going to work. Yes. That's what I'm saying. So Let's keep language efficient. And at the very least, if you're going to change it, make it less syllables. Like just, just make it one word real <laughs> yeah. simple, but invent a new word and yeah. then say, here's <laughs> what it means. And yeah. I'm fine with that. Yeah. Totally cool. So, all right. Is that all we have to say about That's this stuff? That's it, man. I think so. Right. So until next time, folks, uh, we'll, we'll be on the, on the prowl for new sex offender news. That's right. <laughs> so, oh, wait, hold on. Persons who commit sexually abusive behavior <laughs> yeah. in treatment and in recovery, rehabilitation, empathy. For minors attracted <laughs> For people. minor attracted people. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. And thanks for listening to the Gorilla Social Work Podcast with your hosts, Jeff Moore and Mace Warren. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into all things related to forensic psychotherapy. As always, you can head over to utahsbesttherapy.com to check out our program and check out all the links and resources in the show notes. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, and wherever you prefer to get your listener fix. Please share this episode with your family and friends, and don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star rating, which really helps us out. You guys are awesome. We'd like to stay in chat longer, but we're lying. Good night.